This show is brought to you by Cakes and Tins, where you can send the people you adore delightful and delicious gifts that give back. Go to cakesintins.com and use the code ACTINGREAL for 10% off. This show is also brought to you by LA Bookmaker, a deluxe stationery shop and custom bookbinder, offering handmade foil stamped cards, high quality calendars, and other ephemeral gifts. Go to la-bookmaker.com. Our clarity story today comes from Andy Bradshaw. I found out I was bisexual when I was like 11. I had that aha moment when I was playing basketball with my best friend at his house and I was noticing how hot he looked in the hoop shorts while guarding him and I was getting turned on, LOL. So I had to like fake a timeout and get water because I'm like, oh my God, what the F is this? Through my teen years and very early 20s, I had such a crush on him, but nothing ever happened. But in my mind, we got married. Ha, LOL. Ironically, Christmas 2019, we met up and later I texted him everything feelings-wise, even asking him on a date. I knew he was straight, but I had to know for sure. Of course, he said that he was straight, but said that I was, he was glad I told him. I came out in 2015 fully but we weren't in contact then, so he didn't know. With my sexuality, I've always internalized it, and being shy, I wasn't totally out. I came out to a couple people I trusted, but coming from being raised by a single mom, my mom is my rock. So telling her was like announcing it in public, lol. What led me to take the step was Obama's Marriage Act. Once I realized I could marry a guy if we fell in love, it was okay. So on May 27, 2015, I just started texting and emailing people. My mom was at my bros watching my niece and nephew, so I texted her about being bi, and she was thankfully very receptive. When she pulled up to my driveway that night, we just hugged, and she said, I love you, and it's okay. Kat, this was 25 years after I first knew, lol. Being queer in the South, Andy's from North Carolina, being queer in the South, especially playing sports, wasn't heard of, so I buried it deep inside till Obama legalized same-sex marriage. I envy people that came out years sooner, but I didn't feel I could. Funny side story, I later found out that my mom, years earlier, thought I might be gay, so she talked to her lesbian co-worker about me. I never knew till I came out. I think that co-worker helped her be cool with it since she loved her. To this day, though, I've never dated a guy and still find it odd to talk to guys for the sake of dating. I feel good my mom knows, but I still feel closeted. I don't know. It's a weird feeling. I do wish at times I were 100% gay or straight. Thanks to beautiful women like yourself, I'm definitely not 100% gay, lol. With all due respect. Hope that story helps you. F helps you. Feel free to use it. I just ask that you please add this one thing at the end for emphasis. There is no rush and no right way to come out. If you don't feel safe or ready, then wait until you're in a safe environment and you'll know if you're ready to come out, whether you're 15 or 75. God, I love that story, Andy. Thank you so much, so much for sharing it. And uh, I, I also love... I love your LOLs, and I decided to leave them in, even though you said I could take them out. Um, thanks again for sharing that. I think it's it really meaningful, means a lot. 
If you have a story about a time that changed your life, it can be very mundane. You were hanging out by yourself and you had a thought, or it can be crazy, crazy. You uh, were drinking plant medicine and you had a vision. Um, Whatever the story is, if you want to share it, I want to hear it. I really, really, really do want to hear from you. Please email me at claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. That's claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. My guest today is Camille Guadi, uh, whom I met on a pilot years ago. She is just a ball of just light and love and such great energy. And um, and she's very honest um, about her journey um, to parenthood. And um, she really struggled with uh, fertility issues um, and – she now has an amazing son who's a toddler, just younger than my daughter. Um, and I actually talk some about uh, some a loss that we just recently had on this episode. Um, so we talk about fertility. We talk about parenting. We talk about rejection. Um, she and I have a lot in common in that department, Uh you know, sort of enduring a series of what felt like really intense losses, um, certainly in career. And then Camille talks a lot about loss as it relates to her, uh, her, you know, years of I- IVF. Um, and um, it's a really beautiful episode, and she's super honest, and so am I. And um, we really connect. Uh, if you don't know Camille, she, uh, she's she been in a bazillion TV shows and films. Um, she, uh, you may recognize her recently from her roles on um, Daytime Divas, Scorpion, The Good Doctor, and The Exorcist. You may also remember her from Prison Break, Cupid, Las Vegas, or The Nine. Um, and if you uh, recognize her voice, it's likely from one of the number of roles she's voiced on Family Guy. Um, and uh, yeah, she's 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 been in so many things, and um, she talks a lot about her career and how it started and where it came from, and her parents' relationship to her career. And um, it's really a a rich, interesting episode. So I hope you guys enjoy, um, as always, as much as I enjoyed uh, recording it and re-listening to it. It is a skeleton, and you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. And you must use the play. You must use it like an ingredient. Are you recording? Okay, we're both recording. I am recording. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, so I haven't seen you in years. Wait, not really. Like maybe I've run into you in places. Oh, we ran into each other on like at like uh I don't know, some lot at Warner Brothers, right? Like once, like three years ago. 
<laughs> I can't even remember. You're right. Like right now, I'm kind of in the toddler mommy phase. So I don't remember anything. People are like, do you remember what you did this last year? I'm like, last year? Did I do that last year? That's I know. Year. I know. Because it's so, I know. Well, since we worked together, which was a thousand years ago, yeah. we like have both become moms. And it really is like, of course, now they're leaf blowing right outside my house. I hope that no one can hear it. I can't this. even hear it. Okay. Well, hopefully it. my mic is good enough. Um, uh, yeah. Now we've like both become moms and this toddler mom thing is like a real thing. I mean, it's like, it's your whole life gets totally turned upside down. Right. I mean, I mean there are days that I am just, so, I mean, I'm in love with him every single day, but there are days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's the best kid in the world. I love him so much. And then there are moments where I literally will have a breakdown with him yeah. having a breakdown. I'm yeah. just like, I can't, I can't handle this right now. So I'm just going to cry. Yeah. Let out all of my emotions at the same time, because this must feel really good. Yeah. Oh my God. And we'll stop crying and he'll look at me, mommy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so important though, to you know, I mean, we model just like we model everything. We model how to take care of ourselves. We model how to take care of our, of others. We model how to, you know, how to feel feelings too. Like, and if we can feel our feelings and be honest with our kids about how we're feeling those feelings and have no shame around those feelings, and then they can see that feelings come and then feelings go just like most things in life. That's such an important, um, lesson you know it's such a such an important thing for kids to watch their parents feel feelings right so spooky when parents don't allow themselves to feel feelings in front of their kids you know what I mean right. yeah I kind of had that opportunity. I, had, I grew up with uh my dad um he hates it if I say this but he was very he was a very strict father so um I rarely saw him have his feelings and the same with my husband his parents are British and mm. They're so zipped Stiff up. Upper lip. Yeah. They're so zipped up. So, um, you know, he has a, an actress for a mom <laughs> yeah. who sometimes wears all her emotions right up on her, you know, on her sleeve. But my husband, you, you know, he's a very, um, he's not ashamed of having his emotions. Mm-hmm. Show. So sometimes I think he can be a little bit more dramatic than me. Not to <laughs> but like, by the way, especially, you know, I mean, we've, we've, uh, you know, especially like how important it is for him to see his dad cry, you know, oh, yeah. um, that's a, you know, that's a big deal to, yeah. to be able to know, like boys can cry, girls can cry, you know, actually someone said, where, where was it? Someone said that boys are actually like, this is, I mean, this stat, I have no idea where this comes from, but like boys are actually like twice as sensitive as girls or even more like way more sensitive than girls are. Is it because of the nerve? Did you hear that? Like that, that boys have, like they're born with a gazillion, I don't know the number, but gazillion more nerve endings than than us. Oh, interesting. And so that might have something to do with their sensitivity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of difference also differences. Someone also said the corpus colostrum, which is this part of the brain that like bridges the right and the left brain is like, I mean, I'm just butchering this. I'll, <laughs> I'll find some information and like put it on, we'll link it. but it's something like it's further away. So it's like harder for, for, um, 
it's, it's harder for men to kind of jump from left brain to right brain or from right brain to left brain. And so like that, that it kind of sometimes accounts for, um, some frustration that men like where it's just like, they can't like they're, they're not as, as able easily to process like complex sort of either experiences or information. Um, I wonder if conditioning has a lot to do with it as well. Do you know, oh, like the nature versus nurture aspect? Oh my God. I was just, sorry. I cannot believe that just happened. I was just going to do not disturb. So that, okay. That's my dad. It was my dad. It's my dad. Speaking of fathers. Wait, we're dad. speaking of you guys. It's my dad's birthday today. Oh, <laughs> I know, he just got the gift we sent him. We sent him a 17 oh. inch cast iron skillet, which is exactly wow. what I wanted. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, okay. Hi. Like, Tell me, here's the things, here's some things that I'm really curious about from you. Um, what, how long have you been doing this acting? Were you a kid star? No, no, I wasn't a kid star. Um, it's one of this career for me was something that I always knew I wanted to do. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I knew it was, um, I was one of those that like had the dream, you know, mm-hmm. and, but my parents, um, me being, um, first generation here, normally when you have parents like that, they are very much, you're going to be a doctor and you're going to be, you know, uh, a lawyer. Um, so it was really hard for me to navigate, um, to them, my dream was just a hobby. Mm. And, um, and understandable, you know, because my dad worked really hard to get to where he was and to build this family and to give us everything that we needed. So I understand now as an adult going back and seeing why they didn't want me to do what I did. But at the time I was kind of, I kind of hit it. So besides doing, you know, high school plays and all of that stuff, um, I had a neighbor drive me to um, this play at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I was auditioning for, they were doing a spring production of um, Alice in Wonderland. And I auditioned and it was an equity thing and I wasn't equity and I auditioned for it and I got the part. You got, who'd you get? Did you get Alice? No, no, no. I got the part of a white rabbit. And I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. I just was floored. And I told my parents, my dad's like, well, I feel so bad that I'm like really putting them down in this way. But he's like, oh, we're going on um, a vacation, family vacation. And I was like, I just got my first like huge play. Like, no, we can't. And so I had to back out. The first kind of, the rest is history, but it kind of all happened. Did he make it up? Did he purposely like create the vacation? No, we did. And it was just, we did have one, but it wasn't my, what I was doing was not important enough. You know, it wasn't right to them. Right, right, right. Um, and it slowly started to trickle in. But when I went to college, um, I was going for, you know, they, they thought it was going to be some advertising executive and there was acting for non-majors. And I, I dove in there and I had a teacher there, um, uh, Sproul was his name and he was like I'm going to give you an independent study if you want it and I was like oh, 
like this was, he was a top teacher at Boston University for acting. And I was just so grateful. And so he just gave me one-on-one, had his TAs also, like we would just like, I would go a couple times a week and, and just learn. Oh my gosh. I'm so moved by that story. Does that make you want to cry? It makes me like yeah. want to cry hearing you tell oh, it. Yeah, he was, he was awesome. And um, to give me that, you know, and then from there, I just did, I did a lot of student films. And then when I graduated, I remember giving my parents my diploma and just saying, okay, here's, you know, my diploma and thank you for uh, the education, but I'm going to pursue acting. And everyone started crying. like this this wasn't you know but my gosh but you're supposed to be this you were interning at you know this big advertising agency and we bought you suits and it's just it's not for me it's not what I want to do and how are you going to do it and I was like I don't know I'm just going to move to New York and I'm going to do it (laughs) and um and I did I moved to New York and lived in this women's housing facility because I was like, well, you know, it's, it's all women. So that's cool. It was like 600 bucks. Women, so, like- but like, I have to ask, like, because this is, you know, you had like so many obstacles, obviously. I mean, you lied yeah. to your family because you were, yeah. I mean, by the way, we were talking a little bit about before about parenting and, you know, right. how compliance comes at the cost of connection and like what a perfect example where like they were like you have to be this and you're like well I'm not gonna do that so I'll just disconnect and not tell you anything about my life right you know right yeah I know it's and that's a scary thing now having a child because I would well me my my husband I talk about it all the time how he was raised was um similar in the sense where he was very secretive too with his parents. We would never want that of our son. Like we want to be an open book with him. Yeah. Well, and the only way to accomplish that is to not force compliance. Right. It's like the only way. So you really like, and which takes so much patience, so much practice, exactly. so much, you know, because I think as a parent, we think that we know it all. And we also fear, like I know from my parents, it wasn't so much that they, didn't want me to do this as much as it was, um, fearing me failing, Mm -hmm. which, but if I did, then that's my life. Yeah. 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 You can't dampen a dream when it's that strong, you know? Yeah. Well, there's another whole, like, there's another whole conversation as it relates to parenting about this, which is like, do we create our child, our children? Or do, are they sort of who they are? And our job is to, you know, support them in, in their journey, which really in many ways has very little to do with, with ours and what our wants for them might be, or what our goals for them might be. I think it's more for me, my way that I, but I mean, everyone has their own, but I feel like they're who they are, but they also watch and see you know things around them uh, yeah what, what ignites them you know yeah 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 what, what makes them tick so they could be he my son could you know he loves playing instruments with my husband I have this cute video yesterday where he just loves playing the piano and he loves picking up the guitar but then he also loves doing you know funny things with mommy mm-hmm. that has to do with my acting so I don't think that 
I'm going to make him an actor. But if he starts to watch it and it's something that he feels that that moves him in a way or music moves him in a way that he wants to pursue that, Oh, have to support it God, I know but you like cringe like that like I when know. I think about August or our daughter wanting to be an actress I go like oh god I, I know just- now I don't know look I don't know I think she probably won't like she's she's much more like I feel like she could be like maybe an engineer or something like she's <laughs> hyper focused and like likes mm. working on like you know I mean, she'll work on like one, like she, I can't, I'll never forget. She was like, I don't know, 14, 13 months or something, like just barely, barely had turned one. And she spent 45 minutes taking apart a ballpoint pen and then trying to put it back together again. And I was like, oh my God, like, she's going to be an architect. She's going to like, or like a rocket scientist. Like I just, but I'm so curious, like, because also, of course, if she wanted to be an actor, uh, you know, God forbid, but like, let's say she, right, right. like, of course I would support her in that. But I also like, I'm just curious. Cause like, you know, my whole, look, I believe that acting saved my life. Like I am so grateful for acting and, and I believe that it's like, you know, turned me into the best version of me. And it really, right. it's because I study this craft and like, that's what this podcast is really about. Like you know, it's, I know we're, we're half joking when we go like, Oh God, we hope our kids don't become actors. (laughs) But like what my question really is, and this is where I was sort of going with, um, you know, why the, the question about like, how'd you start and why'd you start too is, is obviously there are hardships along the way, which is why we say to our kids, like, no, you know, like, I hope they don't become actors, but, but, but you're still doing it. And my question right. to you is like, why, like, why, why are you still doing it? Why, why, you know, I'm sure you're still doing it for some of the reasons you started doing it, but I'm right. sure I imagine that your, your, uh, your mission has expanded. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Gosh, it's, you know, I've kind of come to some crossroads with that question myself a lot of like there have been many moments where like why are you doing why am I still doing this you know because of it's hard it gets you know it's it's not easy um but it's kind of like a drug for me well tell me what's not easy about it like the rejection sometimes or the inconsistency yeah all of that the inconsistency with work how um, how hard you have to work to get a job sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the constant rejections versus the yeses that you do get the validation that you have to, you know, I have to look at myself in the mirror every day. You are enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you, is that actually, is that a practice? I don't, but I used to actually, but you know, in my, in my, uh, you know, perfect world I would wake up and do that to myself but sometimes I don't allow myself the time for (laughs) self-love but um I think nobody really sees us on a daily basis and what we go through and what we do they just kind of see our Instagram life at times when we put out there and we you know we're on set or we're this but the amount of rejection that I had to take or that one has to take to get to that place is sometimes a, it's too much yeah. to handle and at times I'm just like I'm not into this um the hustle yeah yeah you know, 
I feel like and so how do you so how do you like so how do you deal when you feel like that like what do you how do you what makes you like open the next email and do the next audition or what makes you like not just like call all your reps and say okay I quit well, I have this is, you know the funniest thing is is it's it's such a weird I don't know what your beliefs are with you know the whole world and letting go and oh I'm like I'm about I'm about as I'm kind of pretty much believe in everything. I, mean, I, I kind of draw the line at like aliens, although I be, I'm sure there are aliens out there. So I guess I don't really draw the lines. I draw the line at things that feel like they could actually, it could be like a very damaging belief in some way. Mm. I don't know. It's hard to describe it, but basically I'm open to believing in anything. Okay. So there is some truth to, you know, when you like letting go of the, letting go to some letting go of something and once that happens it actually fills it comes into your life um and twice it's happened where I've called my reps and I'm like I'm I quit I'm done like I just I just can't do this anymore I'm like are you sure and I was like absolutely I'm done so sorry but I I just I can't I'm over I'm going to Spain and I'm gonna go (laughs) do my eat pray love moment right so when that happened, the first time I got a call, like just, just this one audition, just go in this one time. And I was like, I told you, I just don't want to do it. I just don't. Can you please, Camille? It was like for How I Met Your Mother. And I was like, <sighs> and I, I go in and um, I leave and I hear nothing. I was like, whatever. And then they're like, just, can you do one more audition? And I was like, honestly, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. Just one more. And, and I go, and it was like for Heart of Dixie, that's some recurl. And I didn't even make it back to the parking lot when they called me. He's like, okay, so you booked the role on Heart of Dixie. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and you booked um, How I Met Your Mother. Oh my God. I just got chills. I'm like, but I quit. <laughs> Yeah, but you got these jobs. And I was just like, how does that happen? I'm just, how does that happen? Yeah, you know, I had a, a really so similar hard. thing. I, I had a really similar thing happen. Um, but I but I never went as far as to actually call my reps and say I quit. Like I more went to the place of just like, I know that I quit. And like, I'll probably act forever in some capacity, like someone, but it'll just be like offers only, but like, I'm not auditioning for anything ever again. And like, if they decide that like they're over me, like they'll just tell me that, but like, but like I quit acting. And then I also go to this place of like, I quit meaning like, I quit more metaphorically. Like I quit everything that I'm doing right now. Like everything that acting means to me, as I've always understood it to mean is something that I quit forever. Right. And I, I had a similar experience where it was after, I mean, I'm curious what led up to your quitting, but, um, I'm curious about that, but even more, I'm curious. And, and I don't actually even feel like telling my story right now. Actually I can, it doesn't matter. Maybe we'll get to it, but more (laughs) what I'm, what more, what I'm curious is like, have you, have you, uh, put any intentionality into discerning why that, that letting go, like quote unquote worked or like, 
I mean, I think my, my guess is that when you called your agents and when you called your reps and said, like, I quit, like you really did quit. Like you quit, quit. quit. You were like, really like for sure in your heart resolved, blah, blah, blah. And so this is not like a thing that you can like fake to get the jobs. You know what I mean? Like, this is something that really works. So I'm wondering, like, do you know, do you know, like why, do you know what happened in your body? Like, could you recreate that if you wanted to? Well, for me, acting started to take, I would, acting for me was a hundred percent. Right. And I would put that first, hence the reason why it took me a really long time to have a baby and we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. But I think I was missing one too many, um, friends, weddings. I was, I missed, um, my husband's grandfather's funeral, um, for all these things that I was up for this job. I was Mm -hmm. up for a job. You can't leave because you're up for the job. You know, it was like me and somebody else and I couldn't leave. And there were 11 of those moments and I didn't get any of them. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I'm, I cannot believe, I can't put my life on hold anymore for this career. So when I did end up letting go, I think it was, I think you know what, I still feel like, have you like, I still feel like those 11 times are really painful for you. Are oh they? my gosh. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. yeah, it's this, you know, it's, it's always coming second and not getting a job and then having somebody be like, so what have you been doing lately? Are you still mm-hmm. acting? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. Do you want to see my calendar? Do you want to see, um, you know, all these scripts that I have that I didn't get all the, you know, all of that is it's super painful to kind of deal with that kind of rejection Mm. when you get that far and then you don't get the job Yeah, over and over and over again. And you just start to think, well, am I not shining bright enough anymore? Like, what Mm. is it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. What am I putting out there that, but you can't think that way. Like this to answer your question about, you know, um, why, Uh, it worked when I let go. I think it's almost like as actors, we have to trick ourselves into Mm. like we're our own psychologist in a sense that we have to trick ourselves into being enough. We have to trick ourselves into having that confidence, you know, and also it's like they smell desperation and it's so true. They do, but it's not to say that I'm desperate when I walk into the room, but I think I hit a place where I'm like, just give it to me already. Yeah. You know, like what the heck? Yeah. And, and I think I was a little bit, um, had some disdain for it and yeah, they probably saw that. Yeah. Probably read that rejection on my face. Like, so I think when I didn't want it anymore, um, maybe I became more desirable in the sense that I was really just showing off a, like, I don't, can you swear on this? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. We're on this podcast. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't, you know, and I don't give a fuck kind of. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, I, as an actor, I should be able to portray, I don't give a fuck, but it's hard to not give a fuck when you give a fuck. Yeah. You can't you really fake I mean? not. Yeah. You can't really fake. So when you actually that. don't care that that's, that actually works best, I think for me. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's really, it is, it's a tricky thing. I mean, so I had, 
you know, interestingly, I think my number is like 11. Like there's been really something like that. There was like 11. And I really recently did, I'm working with a, a life coach who's fucking fantastic. And um, she actually had me go through those 11 times. Cause it was almost like they were still so disappointing to me, but it felt irrational. Cause like some of them happened, like, I mean, fuck, like, I don't know, 2004, 2005. Like I go back to some really painful ones and they all kind of got lumped together in this, like, like really painful rejection pile. And then of course there's so many other rejections, but like those specific ones were just so painful and so raw. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they were all, like you said, like the ones where it's like between you and someone else and you don't get that thing. And, and she actually had me go through each one. And I, to be totally honest, I only did it like 50% and it made such a huge difference, but I went through everyone and basically answered the questions like, who, what, like, who do I need to forgive and, and what do I need to forgive and how can I forgive myself? Like, basically like, can I right. forgive these things? And I, I didn't really like pay so much like I didn't, you know, I could have like probably taken each one and journaled about that. You know, like I could have like really right. done the whole thing, but even the act of going back through them from a place of, um, from a place of thinking about forgiveness and, and frankly, just feeling like yeah. fe- letting, like forgiving myself for feeling so, cause there's also so much shame that I had, like, yeah. this is, this is part of our job. You know, we have rejection, right. like get over it. Like, okay. Right. So that one thing happened in 2004 and then blah, blah, blah. Like I'd right. been so like sort of annoyed with myself for even being so sad, you know, like wanting just so badly right. to get over that. And like, and by the way, having had other successes in between these things, you know right. what I mean? But still these series of things that I'd given a lot of meaning to felt so devastating to me that going through them, allowing myself to actually process them, look at them without, with not any lens of shame or self-punishment right. was so, so healing for me, really. Like it was really made a huge difference. Um, anyway, do that. Well, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've almost, I've rarely heard someone like this story that you're telling is one I'm so familiar with about like right. a specific number where I was like between you and someone else. It was like a really painful loss. And like, and then that, yeah, I totally identify with that feeling of like, fuck you. Like it's so fuck, funny give it to me. As you, yeah. when you were saying this story, it reminded me too, when you're, when the reason why I think the quitting feels so good is because it is a fuck you kind of to all of those moments that happened. Yeah. And it's also, there's a way of like, we're taking our power back because beyond the rejection, there's also um, a loss of power. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Like, well, what it is, is my friend Zibby, she's, she she has some, some quote in one of the, she did an episode recently of this podcast and she's so brilliant. And she said, um, the way she described it was like when, when something else, when, when you're giving something else more power than you have, like, it's just, it's inevitable that you feel like shit. Right. 
you know, like, because your body knows like your wisdom mind, your high self knows that it's total bullshit. So you're like lying to yourself. You're in a place of inauthenticity as it is. You're, you're in, you're misaligned when you're saying like this job is more important than me and like who I am and all my power in this world. Like you're living a lie. Like it's terrible. It feels horribly uncomfortable. And it's very hard to even move from that place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so similarly to you, like just to wrap this dumb story up, but basically there was like a pilot season where it was like just a few things happened. And then this one thing happened where like everyone wanted me except for the network said no. And like, then they hired this actress who like, I was just like, I can't believe that that's the actress that they would hire over me. I just want to just die. And I was like, I'm quitting. Like I quit. And I, two weeks later, this audition came for Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And I just had this mantra. Like, I was like, the only reason I'm auditioning for this is because it's on Amazon. And it's like, it feels a little different and like, fine. Like this is going to be like my last hurrah. Like, I can't really let this go. Cause it's such a weird thing to come through and I'm just going to do it. And like, and I had this mantra, like, I'm not going to fucking freak out about this. I'm just not going to freak out. Like, I was just like, I'm not going to act. I'm not acting anymore. I'm not acting anymore, but I'll prepare these sides as well as right. I know how. And I'll just be a normal person. And then like, that was like the most effortless booking ever. Like I didn't even test. It was just basically like, you're, like, you're the girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like these things happen and yeah, like I can't really explain it either. I mean, other than, I mean, I'm sure I could, by the way, if I wanted to get really intellectual right. and go right. down like the whole of, you know, sort of met- metaphysical talking about attachment and surrender and like all right. that. Um, but it's sort of like beside the point. And, you know, in general, like I don't really love, um, talking about acting on this podcast anyway. <laughs> We've already been talking about acting for like too long. I mean, like I love talking about acting in life. So sometimes like I kind of indulge in this, but really the point of this podcast is to talk about, you know, people and, and humanity. And, and I think like there's really in every profession and in, in every not even profession, not even as it relates to your career, but like in general, there's something about a letting go that actually invites, invites a having in a way that you haven't. And, and, and I would argue actually, now that we're talking about it, that it's like the having, like having begets having wanting begets wanting. So it's like, you know, when you have your power, when you say like, fuck you, man, I'm not doing this anymore. And you feel that power, then like the power begets power actually. Right. You know, like, I think that's the mechanics of it and like, not to like abruptly switch subjects, but to like abruptly switch switch subjects. (laughs) And then we can come back to it. I wonder if, cause you've been really public about your struggles in fertility and, and your journey, which has been a really long one in that, in that area. And now you have like an incredible son and it's like such a happy ending, but like, did you experience any of these same mechanics in that area of your life? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, just hearing you say the word surrender uh, brought back um, <clears throat> a lot. Yeah, I mean, I went through um, about five years of trying to get pregnant. And with every one year, you know, was us doing it the normal way. And then um, five years of IVF. But I remember every time that it didn't work it was just one of those things where people would just say to me you know you need to let go or you need to 
just not focus on it. Like, don't be stressed out, um, you know, surrender and to these circumstances and like, it'll all come back to, you know, it'll, it'll happen. You're just, and so every time I tried something different, you know, mm. okay, well this time I'm going to be super grateful. I'm going to enjoy this journey and I'm going to just absorb all the positive positivity around me. And this is going to be the best one that's going to work this time. And then, you know, you get the phone call at the end and be like, Oh, that one didn't work either. And mm. So, um, I think, um, at some point it wasn't so much, um, that I had to let go and I was given because I think I had to let go of a lot. Um, I mean, no, I don't know. I'll just... I did five years of IVF and then ended up not um, being successful with any of my embryos. And um, my husband and I decided to use a donor, which is a woman who gives her eggs to us and we fertilize them. And then I carry the child. I carry the baby, the embryo. And um, that whole idea was just so foreign to me. And I couldn't wrap my brain around that embryo being my child. You know, I had so mm. much talk about shame. I mean, mm. there was shame of being a, am I, who am I if I can't get pregnant? Like, is my husband going to look at me differently? I would look at pregnant women on the street and just be like, feel so broken. From mm. that. And I, I mean, the whole world became like a giant trigger, you know? Mm. And, um, and I, the reason why I advocate now for using for gender conception is because I couldn't accept it for the longest time. I was like, oh, to have somebody else's egg in my body. I don't know. That's like not, not my genetics. I had such an attachment to my genetics mm. that, um, you know, and rightfully so I've spoken to a lot of therapists about it, especially in this arena. And they were like, well, you're attached to your genetics because you always envisioned you know little Camille um, mm. I did I always envisioned what for some reason I always envisioned a girl and that the baby that the little girl would look like me going back because I looked exactly like my mom mm. so I just had that vision mm-hmm. and or that she was gonna have dimples and so um eventually I had to shift my lens right shift the perspective shift how I looked at things instead of looking at this as like I as um a problem I started looking at it as a gift that this woman, some stranger was willing to give a part of them to me so that I can become a mom. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that brings me to tears every time because once I shifted that perspective and saw life through that, Mm -hmm. I was just in such gratitude to women out there who do this for for me, for other women who can't conceive mm-hmm. with their own eggs. And then I started to let go of my genetics. You know, I started to be like, well, how important are my genetics anyways? Like, you know, I'm only going to be around for God knows how long. I'm not going to see my lineage, right? right. <laughs> so, you know, five grandkids down the line aren't going to have dimples. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but is it that important? Mm-hmm. You know, and what's more important? nurturing this child, you know, and also the gift that I'm able to carry. Mm. Um, 
but you know, not to take away, it, it was huge decision to make, mm-hmm. but I am so grateful that I was able to work through it, you know, with the support of my husband and a lot of uh, mental therapy. A lot of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but it, it worked and I have a beautiful, beautiful boy and I don't regret it at all. And I'm in this community now where I'm just like wanting to speak more about it so that people that are, I have so many women and men that are in the same position that I was, mm. I can't get over that hump. Yeah. They can't shift that perspective. And, and I'm just here to help because yeah. through my story, I'm not at all a doctor by any means that can like give you any kind of advice, but I can tell you how. And of course you feel as attached to this boy as you would right. have oh. to any child. 100%. Yeah. But you would have, if you would have talked to me before I would have said, no, I, I actually had visions of like, well, this is going to be the divide between my husband and I, and I may walk away and be like, I don't want the baby. I'm full disclosure. I yeah. fully would think this, like, I don't want the baby and I don't want, I'm not going to be in this marriage because my husband will have more of an attachment to this mm-hmm. child than I will because, because I thought genetics meant love. Yeah. You know, genetics would be like, he would be more connected to him than I would. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the truth. Like so that. can you talk about this process of like, um, releasing your attachment? Like, mm-hmm. um, like, can you talk about, um, d- obviously, you know, I would imagine there was a lot of loss that you had to process mm-hmm. that that might've been a huge part of it. Do, are you able to like, kind of, um, tell it as a story almost like what this process was for you going from the 20th embryo that didn't take to this decision to have an egg donor? Yeah. I, the, the thing for me was that I knew as I was, when I first started IVF anyways, you do a blood test. And I knew from the beginning that, um, when I got that blood test, it was a shock because the doctor was like, oh, wow, you actually need to do this like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I already knew that there was kind of a problem, but I didn't really believe them because mm. in my head, infertility was not going to be my story. You know, it was going to be that somebody else's story. That's not mm. mine. Mm-hmm. I'm Latin and I'm going to get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. And what is your ethnicity, by the way? Cuban and Puerto Rican. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you know, my grandma got pregnant in her forties. Mm, so like, wow. Story. I'm going to get pregnant. No big deal. I'm going to get pregnant. Yeah. The first time we had sex, I was like, had sex, you know, to get pregnant. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, my boobs are big. It I, happened. Yeah. I totally am pregnant. This is amazing. One shot and done. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, it didn't work. But anyways, um, the doctors after every time, would bring up using a donor. And, um, I hated that. I mean, it just made me feel so incomplete as a woman. And I didn't, I never wanted my husband to hear either. I was like, can we not talk about that right now? Like, we'll just, we'll, we'll call me on the phone. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But I think because it was trickling in, I started to, as much as I didn't want to, I was in such denial, but part of me was like, you have to start listening to what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. So I started to dabble 
I remember it was like pilot season and I was like not paying attention to any of my auditions and just, mm-hmm. I would, became obsessed with looking on like donor websites just to like look and see. Mm. And that actually made me feel worse, mm. but I, it was a secret. Like I didn't want to tell my husband. Because Why did it make you feel worse? Because I still, I wasn't ready, but it was one of, it was the first step that I made to you know, opening myself up to that idea. And I think it really highlighted the fact that this wasn't working the way that I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And I almost felt like a closet drinker, you know, Mm -hmm. like doing this on the side, but in the end it like made me, you know, like an alcoholic will always say like when they have that drink and then at the end you just feel like shit. Mm. And that's kind of how I was feeling. I just felt like such shit. Like this isn't, this isn't filling my void. This Mm. isn't fixing my problem. This is making me feel like I'm more broken. Mm. Um, And then I think I also, I believe in God and it was, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed numerous times trying to, frame myself to into pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I said, I was like, I can't make this decision to stop doing IVF. If I'm financially, emotionally, physically able to, I'm going to spend all of my money to get that one embryo that's going to work. Mm-hmm. And that's horrible because <laughs> you put yourself through so much already mm-hmm. And I was, I got a, a pilot that was shooting in New York <clears throat> and this guru doctor that I had been looking up for months, which mm-hmm. living, it was in New York, his practice out in New York. And I was like, oh my gosh, my husband, I told my husband, like, this it's is meant to be. Yeah. It's meant to be. I'm going to go meet him. He's going to help. And he put me on some protocol and he was like, I can totally get you pregnant. Put me on like a six week protocol. And at the end of the six weeks, I start IVF. At the end of the six weeks, I go into the doctor's office and he checks all my, you know, the embryos, the follicles, to see what's mm-hmm. going on. And he's like, well, I can't, I can't find any follicles. And I was like, huh? No, there's always follicles. Like you're going to find something. He's like, you yeah. have no follicles. And I was like, well, that's never happened before. He's like, yeah. He's like, let's just wait for another cycle. He's like, you have nothing to work with. So when he said that, yeah. Oh my gosh. That was the moment that I was like, okay. I'm like, this is my give up moment. This is my moment to walk away because the, you know, I now saw for myself, like, this is not working Camille. Like you said, you needed a sign. You said you needed a moment. Right. And there is nothing more in your face than the doctor saying, we got nothing to work after six weeks and he's the yeah, after this protocol blah, blah, blah. that was gonna just pump me up and yeah. it was nothing <sighs> and so I um that was it that was the defining moment for me and you think at that time that it would be uh easy then to make that decision but it still was it still was hard and I you know you have to when something like this happens when infertility when you're you know, challenged with infertility, you have to mourn the loss of 
your genetics. You have to mourn the loss of your child. It's, it's interesting because I never, until I spoke to this one therapist about it, she's like, you, you have, you had a loss that most people, when you're talking to, don't get it. They won't understand. Mm. Right. Mm. Most people are like, oh, well, she's, you know, infertile. She couldn't, she can't have a baby. Mm. But that can't having a baby is actually me having a baby that I lost right. because I wanted it so bad, Yeah, you know, and, and to not be able to have that is still me grieving the loss of something that I imagined for years right. and never coming to fruition. Mm. So going through that. Yeah, I did. You know, you do everything that you can do. I, I, I hated myself. I hated my, you know, my, like, what did I do? I waited so long in this career. I, this career to me, I, then I did, I put it first because I always felt afraid. And this is like this whole, you know, now time's up movement. I'm like, I always thought that if I get pregnant, I'm not going to get the job. I'm not going to, you know, um, or they're going to write me out mm-hmm. if I have a baby. And I just never felt secure enough mm. to have to get pregnant earlier mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I tell women, I'm like, don't ever let that happen because, mm-hmm. but in an, like, I don't regret anything. I don't regret my decision. I don't regret my path because I do have a beautiful, amazing little boy that, is, yeah. that this soul was meant for me. Yeah. Like I look at him and he is so my child. Like there is nothing. I don't feel any of that, um, you know, loss anymore. Mm. Um, it's there for sure, but yeah. it's not, I'm not attached to it in the way that I was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, to me now that importance of genetics, it doesn't mean anything. Right. It doesn't mean what it did before, mm-hmm. but I can still tap into how that felt, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. When you have such a profound loss, of course, you can always tap into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, wow. That's just, it's such a beautiful story. And I know that I mean, I just, so many, so many people struggle with fertility and Mm -hmm. so many people have done so many rounds of IVF and it's just like, you know, it's a really hard when you want a baby, you know, it's really hard to not have a baby. Um, really, really hard. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, there are nowadays, there's just like a lot, there's a lot of opportunity for you to still, if you want to be a mom you can be a mom. Is what yeah. I say. Um, it might not look exactly how you planned, but mm-hmm. you, you will, you can definitely, you know, if you don't have the money for adoption, there's foster to adopt. I know a lot of people who foster to adopt. Yeah. I feel um, like, you know, I feel like this, like, um, you know, I feel like the, 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 the main, I mean, look, I thematically, right. This, this episode so far has been a lot about loss and processing loss and then, you know, seeing things new, newly, you know, and freshly, whether it's career or building a family. I mean, that's what we're really into right now is like, we have, we want something, we're not getting something 
we have to process the loss of that thing. We have to find our power in that thing. And then some new opportunity kind of opens up, you know, I think that's what really we're talking about in both of these areas. And obviously this is something that's, you know, so universal, you know, we have huge disappointments that, um, that come. And like, I was sort of like, I don't know if I want to talk about it and I don't to its fullest extent, but we just lost a pregnancy and, um, and there's like some other circumstances around it that were really sad and hard, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're sort of in this place of like, do we try again, you know, because it's like, I've always imagined that I would have two kids. That was like always what I imagined. And, you know, now I'm, I'm sort of rocked by this loss and, you know, I'm fucking old dude. And, you know, it's like, you know, and we have this beautiful daughter and it's sort of like, do I, you know, just kind of like mourn this loss and, and, and then see things afresh, like we're talking about, or do I keep going for it? You know, it's, it's, and I don't know, I don't know the answer Fear, Um, well, is the fear defining factor, like a fear of loss again, is that? Yeah. Loss or like something like going wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like, we really, oh, lucked our daughter, like the story with our daughter was just like, so easy. I mean, we got pregnant easily. The pregnancy was relatively easy, although I was sick as fuck, but like, you know, we like the, like really all told, like she's been an incredible child. She's so healthy. She's so bright. We, I mean, we just, you know, she fits in with our family. So well, like, you know, Jim and I feel so bonded with her. It's like, so there's the sphere of like, why fuck with it? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Like whatever the thing is, like, you know, God forbid there's some, you know, I don't know, health issue that would be horrible or like, you know, anything that would come up. It's like, it's like, we have a great thing. Maybe we just, maybe we just like call it quits and like have our great thing. But then all this loss comes up for me because I go like, but I always imagine that we would have two and like, what if, you know, but it's really, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I can't, I sit here across from you and I don't know, I don't know what the, what the next, you know, many months will hold. I mean, this loss is really fresh. So it's like, we're not even like in a place where we could, could even physically talk about trying again. It's just too soon, but, um, but yeah, like it's, it's sort of hard to figure out, you know, it's hard to figure out the end of the story when you're kind of in the middle of the story, you know, you're in it. That's it. I think you're in it right now. Yeah. Probably have to let yourself process for sure. And all of this, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's really all, it really is all like that. I mean, and with career too. And I mean, there's just, you know, life is a really interesting kind of thing where we imagine one thing. Ha- I mean, by the way, another thing, like, right. you know, I had my baby and then, um, and then like I, this last pilot season, I was like, this is my fucking year again. Like, you know, my, I'm getting my body back. Like I feel good. She's like at an age where like, I actually sort of sleep more, like it's happening. And then it's like right. coronavirus, you know? Um, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we, it's just like, we don't know, we don't know. And this, and, and, totally. and, and so, I mean, what an amazing muscle also just to fucking use, you know what I mean? This like lost grief, open your eyes to a new sort of state of consciousness because what becomes available to us on the other side of grief and, um, 
and, you know, I guess dashed expectations tends to be pretty phenomenal. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I studied Kabbalah because of course I have, you know, for a second. Yeah. And I remember this teacher telling me this story, this, the, the rabbi who was teaching us was telling a story about a rabbi that taught him who said that whenever someone would come into his office, like just wrecked, like my life is going horribly. Everything is wrong. Everything is turned upside down that. Yeah. The rabbi would like pat them on the back and say mazel tov, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's so true because you're going to come out. There's going to be something great is happening to you right at the end. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So again, like not to like talk about acting again, but just out of curiosity, this thing happened to you again, where you quit acting again. And another thing came, is that, is this story happened to you twice? It happened to me. It happened to me twice. Um, so how many years after the first time did the second one happen? Only a couple years after. But the, the funny thing is, is like now I've been, I've been to, now I know. Okay. Now I know that I can't fake quitting. Yeah. <laughs> like right. part of me wants to be like, oh, I quit now because I know what comes right. on the other side of it. Right. But I can't, I can't do that. Um, the other one happened a couple years after, and um it was a similar, it's all a similar situation in the sense of me just wanting to um live my life a little bit more and not be so dependent on this career. And um and I did. I told my manager, I was like, and he, he laughed. He was like, are you, like, are you serious? And I was like, I'm, I'm serious. I'm just tired. I'm tired. Yeah, I like didn't find like, and by the way, it wasn't just like, I'm going to quit acting and not have any stake in it anymore. Like I wanted to, you know, I started wanting to produce and, you know, sure. wanting to create projects and still have my foot in it in some way, shape or form. But yeah, that's when, um, I then got an offer to do a show. (laughs) 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 And how many years ago was that? That was a while ago though. That was like, right. That was right as I was, that was probably six years ago. So I'm thinking it's about time that I quit again because I'm ready. Right. (laughs) Well, like, so, but so what is your advice? Like, what if you did want, like, how can you simulate, simulate quitting? I don't know. I honestly, I need to look into that. Um, well, and even by the way, okay, I'm just going to skip that question. Although if you come up with an answer to it, I want to hear it, but like more, my question is why do you still do this? Like what, what is keeping you in, in what is do what, what keeps you in it? Why aren't you, why don't you quit? I know you're, you're so right. Like, why, why don't I move on? I think, what is the deeper meaning? Like what is happening? You know, what does it mean to you? I feel for me, it's such, it, it is like a drug for me. It's, um, it just fulfills me in such a way. I love acting. I really do. I love um, finding a character and, digging deep and, and being, you know, bringing something to flourish and when it's good writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't get that opportunity to work with good writing, but I love it. I love it so much. And it's really hard when it's a passion, when, it, you know, it's a passion of yours for so long to just let that go. Um, and maybe a lot of it has to do with also, I'm not a quitter. Mm. You know, I want to continue, but I also want to grow. Like, you know, I don't just want to, I just, I don't want to just be an actor, you know, and I'm not the great thing about I'm a mom too. And the great thing about not 
getting pregnant and the journey of having my baby the way that I did, um, really such a silver lining has opened myself up to now, you know, advocating for infertility and for the way that I got pregnant and introducing that story, because it's such a secret, it's such a hidden, you know, walk of shame for sure, for a lot of people that, you know, there's more to me. And I think that's part of, um, part of the quitting in the acting, I think came from this doesn't define me. I don't want this to define me anymore. And I was letting it define me. And I felt stifled, right, in my career. But there's so much more to me than just letting somebody else give me a yes. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think with that, I don't want I don't want to stop because it's something that I love. Mm-hmm. But I need to find what it is. I need to find more things that I can have control over that I can have power over that fulfill me in a similar way. You know, I, there's more aspects of Camille than just Camille the actress. And so how do you find that? Like, and I think this is advice that anyone could take, whether they're actors or not. Well, it's interesting because my husband and I were kind of going through the same thing. He's a musician and he songwrites and produces and I would, is talking to him about because he was like you know letting him letting go of his dream of uh, was a topic of conversation for a bit and I was hearing myself give him advice and I I said you know we have one life like why are we just sitting here so tunnel vision on one thing why are we just you know I'm a singer you know, I'm a performer and I'm an actor and letting this be our whole life. So we can do anything we want. What do we want to do? Cause we, and we both just hash like, what do we want to be? What do we want to do? We can do anything. What do we want to do? I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get my real estate license. I'm like, I could do that. I'm like, maybe we should move. Like we can move to like a deserted Island somewhere. I'm like, we can get a boat and just like take people on like sunset cruises. Like, what do we want to do? Yeah. Just, I think there was more and interesting with coronavirus, how that happened. Because I feel like coronavirus actually allowed people, this pandemic allowed people to really find more of the meaning of life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's important in our life? And I think, um, I just think having an open mind, I think sometimes with um, art, these careers that are dreams and passions, I think we become so tunnel vision because it's something that we work so hard to get um well what did you come to like what's important in your guys's life what are your values um well I mean money is always even though we say it's not important I think you know to be comfortable is important so yeah comfort's a huge very important value you know if you were talking to my husband who would be like I just hate the whole structure and construct of of that Mm -hmm. and I said well then what do you then yeah let's then let's we got to go completely away and maybe like live in a tiny house like off the grid somewhere and if that's something that you want to do but at the same time I would want to see my husband like there's no way he can live off the grid (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's just not happening so what we came to was really um I think just exploring um time with our family unit is very important for us um taking more time like trips you know i can't remember the last time that we 
time before our child came along with that, we actually took time to like go away on vacation. And what's that? What's the value there? Like what is going on vacation bring you? Well, I think it's just like, it nurtures our nurtures family life, you know, Mm. away from, away from the construct of work, 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 work. Yeah. Um, It allows, I should come closer. It allows, um, it allows you to be filled, you know, you know, when you go away on vacation you come back and you're just like, Oh, you see life totally differently mm-hmm. because you were able to just relax and wind and um, not be in the hamster wheel for, for a bit. God, it's like you exactly know? what we were talking about with the other things too. Right. Sort of like right. a letting go, a surrendering, and then like a new perspective that comes in. Yeah, Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think it's important to do that. I think it's important for couples to do that. I think it's important as family units to do that. So we've actually had some, we're planning some trips right now where nice. we just want to, even if it's just, you know, uh, up the, up the road somewhere, you know, rent a cabin, just do something, but we always talk about it and we never do it. And work always comes up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we actually just spoke about it the other day because, well, you said you have work. And I was like, but I do. I said, but you know what? Let's just make it happen. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, no more excuses. Let's just make it happen. We're just going to mm-hmm. do it. And if work comes up, then we have a trip. I love this. Okay. And so just, so what, so what are your practices like on a daily? And we're going to wrap up, but I just am curious, like, when, when you feel like you're on the hamster wheel and, you know, there's like this sort of eye on the prize of family time and comfort and having a new perspective and like, what do you, but you, but you're working, I mean, you, but you are, you're in the middle of things. How do you cope with that? Um, well, I, I don't know if I do it very well. I, I want to say that I maybe perceive to do it well. Um, but I think balance, um, also I need a little bit of structure for me to feel, um, okay. So is that like working out, like praying, praying, you mentioned prayer, like, yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, I need to work out to clear my head. Um, that for me, like going on a run is very meditative. I know this is going to sound weird, but washing the dishes, I really <laughs> I like to like do that at night. I know it's straight and I have a dishwasher, but I can't get over it. Like, I'm like, oh, but like, it literally pains me to put a dish in the dishwasher. Cause I'm just like, well, I could just wash it. Like I pretty much just washed it to put it in the dishwasher. So, funny. so I do like to sit there and, um, I kind of meditate when I'm doing that. Well, my husband really meditates and I like to say that I do, but I, I don't. Um, but my practice is really, um, exercise, washing dishes, I sound so 1950s, but it's not for everything, but just for myself. Um, and I do love like to be present for me is I simply just remind myself to just look up. Mm. And I think so much of so, so many times, like my husband needs a lot of practice in being present. Like he um, does a lot to get present. And I'm just like, don't you just sometimes just look around you to be present? Like, can't you just, you know, I look up and I see my child or I'll look up and like see a beautiful flower. And I know it sounds so cliche and weird, but it's true. 
then you can kind of bring yourself to where you are, you know, or when I'm working and I'm just like, gosh, just like, wow, okay, I'm here. Like all of these worries and everything can go away by just accepting and being in gratitude with what's around you. And I just, I do that a lot. And especially with my child, it's so easy to be, you know, in gratitude with him when we look around at what is around that makes him smile or happy or excited. You know, it's very childlike to do something like that, to remember to be, you know, be a, a kids are very present. Yeah, I know. So, it's amazing to watch. That's beautiful. Yeah. So to just, that's, a, that's my simple way of becoming in the moment. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. This has been so amazing to catch up with you and hear your story. And it's so beautiful. And I, you know, I think so many people are going to identify with a lot of what you talked about. And um, it's just great that I'm just so happy for you in your life. And thank you. Yeah. We'll also send anybody, my, any women, men, even out there that are having issues and they just want to hash out some questions. I'm always open to, Oh, I will. Yeah. We'll send them your way. For Always sure. open to help. That's awesome. Um, all right. I adore you. I'm going to stop recording. Okay. You stop recording too. Okay. Thank you again. Okay. That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster. Reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. We really, really get those messages and we really, really answer them. Links and recommendations for this week's episode can be found at ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes drop on Mondays. Most importantly, if you love this show, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. We love seeing those. It means a huge deal to the show. We're so grateful for you. We love you. Have a great day. This podcast was produced by the incredible Augusta Chapman with help from our amazing coordinator, Hannah Barbakoff, and our very talented sound engineer, Baraka Jenga. The music, which I absolutely adore, is composed by Sean Hokinson. Hokinson.